Hi, and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where two people who have both decided not to wake up at 4 a.m. and go to the gym come together once a week (laughs) and tell each other the stories about history that we have compulsively been studying on our own little lonesomes. I'm Teresa. And I'm Angie, and I hate the gym. I also hate 4 a.m., but I do like long walks on the beach and cheesecake. I mean... I love the gym and I was going to the gym and waking up every day at 4 a.m. to do the things to get there. And then I trashed my knee and yeah, I'm not allowed to go to the gym that often. And when I do, it has to be very specific things. And so I sometimes push back and rebel against it. Teresa, no. You rebel? Chaotic neutral over here that does it just for the giggles? are a sweet, innocent cherubim of a human being. You would never... You know, the cherubim, I don't know if you read much about them, but they are not full of saccharin, right? Like, they... <laughs> they've I've got seen a mean some problems in some artwork. <laughs> right, like, I mean... They have a mission. They fulfill the mission. I just meant, you know, the cute little cheeks... They look sweet. You don't know what they're thinking. Okay, so you're thinking Renaissance paintings and not the being covered in eyes and wings. No, I'm not thinking of this. No, no, that's a, isn't that the the seraphim? Okay, maybe. We're going to have to Google this. We'll get back to you. (laughs) But, But you didn't come to us for your ecclesiastical podcast needs. You came to us for bizarre history. And quite frankly, we like your pluck. (laughs) We like your moxie. Yeah. She's got moxie. And my dog is staring at you from the bottom of the screen and she I farted. I love her. But oh, I'll send her my love. It. But she just like, just the eyeballs. I can see them and they are hilarious. Hello. Yeah. Pet her for me. Thank you. I will. I will. Thank you. I will. <laughs> Get that sweet face. Oh my gosh. So what have you been up to? Um, just had one of the most chaotic weeks of all time this week. Um, yesterday, while attending Big Guy's football family meeting, they they the coaches provide us entertainment while they speak. The players are behind us rehearse, rehearsing, practicing, and uh, they wear their costumes while they practice. <laughs> they do, yeah. They while they wear their practice <laughs> their practice costumes. <laughs> My husband is never going to let me live this down because we grew up in live theater and every week when he goes to um, rehearsal for sound on Sunday, he always calls it practice. And I'm like, my God, man, it is rehearsal. Have some class. I do like all the time. And I just refer to football as rehearsal. (laughs) I'm the exact opposite. (laughs) I referred once to, um, I was talking to the university coach and um, the outfits that the wrestlers wear and i referred to them as the leotards yeah. and he about head desked and just said singlets <laughs> that doesn't make it better and i'm like okay <laughs> and you. i mean he was just like oh my gosh you just and i was like i mean I mean, I take great joy in renaming all of Ethan's football gear. Like he, what he has a girdle, and I, <laughs> where's your cummerbund? <laughs> Where are your leggings? <laughs> like, however I can possibly jack that up, I will do it. And he, he is so done with it, and it, I, it gives me life. 
that's all we can ask. Yeah, it makes me so happy. But last night, one of the kids in practice may have broken their collarbone. So I'm like, oh, wow, what did I sign up for? This is not my first rodeo, but it just doesn't get easier. I mean, in karate, we talk about the joys of breaking both of your opponent's collarbones because then they can't punch you back. Yeah, I don't think that was the intent here. I, I, I think it was purely accidental. Um, I did not see what led up to it. I only heard the scream. I bet it was a decent yowl. It was. I will probably never forget it. Okay. Yeah. And I looked up in time to see said individual on the ground with another individual on top of him. I think trying to hold him down like trying to keep him stable until the medics could could arrive and i was like oh <laughs> where's mm. my son son present self he's easy yeah. to find because he always has his hands near his mouth because he hates the way the mask feels so okay. he's always like <laughs> trying to just free himself give himself just an iota of room yeah so he's okay he's fairly easy to find but it was uh, it was very it was a night so yeah cheesy. So do you want to go first? Do I want to go first? I sent you a weird TikTok video that was in no way, shape, or form related to my story. And you're like you're going <laughs> first, and I was like, I mean, okay, but I won't hat tip or you know give you any like. Okay, I I felt like with what I saw, you needed to go first because if it was anything related to what you sent me, I was gonna need to be the cal- palate cleanser. Okay, it's not related. Um, oh, I, it's, okay. And mine has <laughs> mine has a fairly like even keel. It's I mean it's a ride. It's a ride, but it's it's not going to to take us down to Depresso Town. <laughs> okay, I mean I'm I'm cool either way. I think you're right. you're gonna you're gonna get some giggles out of my story, and I'm looking forward to hearing yours. So then let's let's end with let's end with you. Um, okay, I'm gonna tell you the story of Helen Duncan. Okay, this name doesn't ring a bell. Okay. I didn't think it would. Um, My sources is an audio book, The Ghost Club by Kate Winkler Dawson. Oh, okay. Okay. I still don't know the name, but (laughs) you mentioned this book to me the other day. Yeah. Um, And she, Helen Duncan only exists in like one sentence in this book, but it was enough for me to go, wait wait a minute. And so then that's, that's what kicked this all off. Um, Then HelenDuncan.org. And BBC's Britain's Last Witch campaign to pardon Helen Duncan. Okay. I'm shocked I don't know this story. It's a ride. It's a ride. Okay. I'm here for it. Victoria Helen McCray McFarlane was born. You made that whole name up. I don't want to hear it. I couldn't come up <laughs> with a more Scottish name if I tried. <laughs> Go. Okay, she, she's on, born November 25th. 1897 uh, in Scotland to Isabella and Archibald McFarlane. Her dad is a master slater, which I am hoping means roofer because that's about the only thing that could make sense. Because if you Google that, you get some rather questionable responses and Urban Dictionary has thinks you misspelled things. (laughs) Um, So she's the fourth and eldest daughter, she's one of eight kids. And then on uh, May 27th, 1916, 
She gets married to You're a right. dude. It's a roofer. What? It's a roofer. Okay. See, and that's that's what I thought, right? Like I wasn't I wasn't too far off base, but I was like, I mean, I did have to do like one full scroll to get to roofer because I was like, probably not, probably <laughs> not. Three of Google. What do you yeah, have? Like, <laughs> I don't think I misspelled this. Um but anyhow, as a kid, she's described as a Bonnie lass. And at some point, she ends up displaying some psychic abilities. And as you do, according to the writings that her family's put together, they've caused her a bit of trouble throughout her life. Okay. So at school, and again, this is like turn of the century. Um, she's the teacher writes some questions on the blackboard and the pupils are writing down their answers on their own little slates. And Helen wrote down numbers to the questions, but didn't know the answers. And then she prays for help. And to her astonishment, the answers appear on her slate. Her teacher walks by and sees that her answers aren't written in her uh, in the kid's handwriting. So he accuses her of cheating. And she denies that she'd copied any of the other children's answers, but can't explain how they appeared. Okay. And how old do you think she is at this time? School age. I mean, so. Okay. Older than five, younger than 20. Magnificent. She could be eight. She could be 16. <laughs> I've done it again. Um, <laughs> so another instance, I'm assuming younger, right? Like it's childish scrawl. You're not going to accuse a 16-year-old of childish handwriting or yeah, not having true, childish yeah. handwriting. Um, so another time she's at school, she keeps thinking the the number 1066. And during a history lesson, the teacher's talking about the Battle of Hastings. And she writes 1066 on the blackboard, and the teacher nearly suffers a heart attack. Right. Did you see my face just then? You had quite the reaction. <laughs> I will give you that. Okay. So Helen's parents, they both end up having women in their family that have the gift. And they're kind of unconcerned about their daughter's responses and, and psychic abilities. They, they think that she's going to grow out of it. However, as she grows up, her ability doesn't dissipate. It grows stronger. Okay. Uh, eventually, Helen's mother becomes so concerned that she takes her daughter to a local doctor and asks if he can check. Maybe there's something physically wrong with her. Um, well, they look at her eyesight. They look at her hearing. They do a full exam. He can't find anything wrong. To Helen's mother's embarrassment, Helen warns the doctor not to go out that night, but he did, and his car skid off the road in the snowstorm. His car or his cart? His car, C A R. Oh, Turn, okay. You know, so this is like you know. I'm oh assuming, yeah, okay. So we probably yeah. have some like Model Ts roaming around. Okay. Yeah. Model so, whatever. Okay. It, the the early versions, you know, he's not yeah. rolling around in a in a Thunderbird. So. Helen's prediction of the, the village doctor's demise, because I guess he, he didn't make it out, which to that point, okay, so I'm going to finish my sentence and come back to it. That's that's the most logical way to attack this. So because the village doctor dies in this whole thing, this is condemned by the local Presbyterian minister who's accused Helen of consorting with the devil. But if the doctor, your mother, and you are the only ones who know that you said that, why don't you keep your mouth shut? That is an excellent question but that's like saying oh you know my daughter said she warned him don't go out tonight 
Don't it's go not like drinks with you're friends. in the market after the doctor's appointment going, and you know, Helen, Helen told him not to go out tonight, but I don't know what he's going to do. So it's completely, oh, he's dead. Oh, oh my goodness. Have you spoken to his wife? I Yeah. So, you know, apparently at this point, Helen's about 16 years old and the the embarrassment of of calling out the fact that this doctor is going to die coupled with the fact that there's no work locally results in helen leaving the family at 16 oh okay i mean i don't know if embarrassment is the word or the feeling but embarrassment is how it's it's talked about so she goes to the city of dundee where at the outbreak of world war one she works in munitions factory and then she works in a jute factory. And then later she works as a nurse. So, so basically she does a bunch of working jobs. Okay. As a nurse, she's introduced to a man named Henry Duncan. And apparently Henry's first words to Helen were, so we meet at last. And uh, apparently both of them had been having visions about the other one long before they finally met get okay or or maybe he just says that to everybody (laughs) all the pretty girls that's his pickup line so we meet at last it's like uh, what pardon and you are oh no he says that to every eight and above you're 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 fine you're just clearly carry on martha (laughs) he said that to me last week yeah Henry has an interest in the supernatural, and instead of suppressing Helen's talent, he encourages it. As you do. And here's where we get the overlap with the Ghost Club, the book I was reading earlier, and Helen's story. So there is a Scottish spiritualist society in Edinburgh, and it invited Heather or Heather Helen to give regular seances to their members who were so impressed and astonished at what they witnessed. They're so impressed with her, they actually give her a certificate endorse- endorsing her for her talent. Okay. So apparently she is the real deal in the height she of the has spiritualism. She a certificate. Right. Like she is papered. That's the weirdest. I, I'm never going to say that again. Um, mm. <laughs> by now... Henry has virtually become Helen's manager, and in 1931, he's so confident in her talent that he agrees to let this dude named Harry Price witness and test her psychic abilities. Now, Price, he's like one of those influencers, those figures of the era. He's got several best-selling books on the supernatural. He's the director of the National Laboratory of Cyclical Research, the president of that club is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But while Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is like an avid believer, Price is his antithesis and is out to prove everybody wrong and everything wrong and is really just in it to win it. Okay. He's risking it for the biscuit. Yeah. He's he's basically one of those, like, you know how Houdini was actually against spiritualism. Right. Okay. Very much like Houdini. Okay. So- Price, the complete cynic, he's determined to prove Helen's a fraud. He knows it from the bottom of his soul. And he witnesses a number of controlled test seances. And at one of them, he actually takes a sample of the ectoplasm that excretes out of Helen. Oh. Yeah. Which is just kind of a gross thing. Um, He concludes that her spirits are... Further questions... (laughs) 
Go ahead. <laughs> Where did it come out of her? I believe her face orifices. Just checking. Yeah. No, but that's a good question. Um, uncomfortable you ask, but I mean. You know, so he concludes sorry. that the spirits are a combination of spit and cheesecloth, and he claims that she regurgitates the cheesecloth and uses it like a puppeteer to create the spirits. Gross. Uh, it's very disturbing. And he claims that her refusal to be x-rayed gives him the belief that she might have a second stomach. Like, that's a jump in the logic train. She just stores stuff in there. Why? You know, that's where I put my keys. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't carry a suitcase or an overnight bag. I just regurgitate it from the second tummy. So you're like a cat with the primordial pooch that could hold a universe. You know, I prefer that you talk about my fupa in more... <laughs> in more modern terms? <laughs> uh, in kinder terms, please and thank you. I wasn't referring to that like it was a bad thing. I love my cat's <laughs> primordial pooch. I try to rub my face on it all the time in hopes to see the Milky Way, but I don't get that lucky. Okay, well, you enjoy frolicking in the I mostly tummy. just get a mouthful of hair. That's okay, what happens. That's, <laughs> that's good. Um, so the onset of World War II dr just drives the number of seances through the roof. And people who have lost friends or family, either both serving in the war or as a result of bombings, they, they want to connect with their loved ones. And in 1941, Helen held two seances that have serious repercussions for her later on during this war. Okay. So the first one takes place May 24th in Edinburgh. And among the sitters or people at the seance is a Brigadier Firebrace. Firebrace. Brigadier Firebrace. And this that dude... sounds like a job. Well, I mean, I think Firebrace is his last name, which is a hellish last name. But... He ends up being it's one of the people for firefighter <laughs> or brigadier, you know, like if you're going to serve General of some kind. Yeah. I'd rather have that than this is your babysitter, Nancy Firebrace. Or being the brigadier of something and being told this is your brigadier um, softy pants. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Fuzzy baby kitten bottoms. Um, <laughs> exactly. So Firebrands had actually been with Ian Fleming, the creator of James Bond, in Moscow in 39, and it had connections with the intelligence services. So during the seance, the spirit guide, Albert claimed, or sorry, spirit guide named Albert, claimed that a British battleship had just been sunk. Mm. And later in that same seance, Albert also claims that the Russians would enter the war on the side of the Allies, which at that point, they had just uh, signed a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany in 39. And so that seemed really odd that Albert would be saying this. And then he also goes on to say that the war is going to end with two big banks. Okay. So that's a lot of like very specific things. Normally when you see these seances, it's like, I am seeing somebody with dark hair. Oh, that's yeah. your, your uncle. Oh yes. Yes. It is male. See the size, you know? So it's like, it's interesting that that's, you know, coming out of it with a bit more substance. Um, yeah. So after leaving the seance, 
the brigadier listened to the news to hear if a battleship had been sunk, but the, no one's mentioned anything. So he rings the admiralty and the person who answers the phone denies it. However, in the morning, the same official rang Brigadier Firebrace back and confirmed that the HMS Hood had been sunk by the Bismarck and then asked Firebrace how he had known it even before some sections of the Admiralty did. Interesting. Okay. So that is a very good question. You're not going to believe that some little old Scottish lady down the street told me. Unless she's part of the Illuminati. Or the intelligence. The Illuminati. <laughs> okay, anyhow. So <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'm here no for it. November of 41, she holds a seance in Portsmouth. Portsmouth. It's spelt Portsmouth, but anyhow. Portsmouth, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a home port of the Royal Navy. And the spirit of a sailor in a uniform materialized, complete with the name HMS Barnum on his cap. And the sitters there heard him declare to his mother, who was there, that the ship had been sunk with a great loss of life. And when the shock lady couldn't or said she couldn't, it couldn't be correct because she hadn't been notified. And the spirit sailor said that she would be in three weeks time before he disappears. So the sailor's mother is so concerned that she contacts the Admiralty and the Admiralty send two officials around to question her. Wow. Um, now, they had known that the German Enigma machine radio communications were intercepted by Bletchley Park and that the Germans had only thought that minor damage had been caused to the HMS Barnum. Yet the actual truth was that nobody on the, the Axis side knew was that the, the, the ship had been blown up a few minutes after being hit by a U-boat torpedo. And the Royal Navy wanted the Germans to think that the HMS Barnum was still a threat in the Mediterranean rather than being at the bottom of the ocean. So they had gone through great lengths to keep that sinking from the public. And they don't announce that it had sank until the following January. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is kind of a big thing. And it's now because of Helen Seance and the rumors spread around Portsmouth that 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 Barnum had been sunk. And most importantly, it alerted to authorities that she's a potential security risk. Well, I mean, she is selling state, state secrets at this point. Like, Yeah, she is the epitome. Of, well, she did. It's not loose lips sink ships. It's loose lips talk about sunken ships. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she nothing fully happens to her until 19, January of 1944. But we're going to fast forward a tiny bit of time. It's D-Day is 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 getting planned nearby. And everyone knows how important D-Day is going to be to, for the Allies to win. They know that Germany is developing rockets and they are trying to finish their flying pilotless aircraft, which became known as Doodlebugs, which... That's adorable. It is adorable. But when you read Doodlebug and you're like, wait a minute, what? What? Hold on. What? What is happening? And then you Google Doodlebug. You don't get a, a flying pilotless aircraft. You you get a bunch of things. And you really have to dig. But if anyhow, if if all this happens or if D-Day fails, the Germans might have enough time to finish these weapons and then wreak havoc, win the war. So this is this is bad news bears, and we got to keep the ghosts from right. telling Helen all about this. So. 
the training for D-Day has begun. It's going badly. Many troops are dying and they're fearing that if the spirit of one of these soldiers appears at Helen seances and tells the sitters how it died, then uh, it's not going to take a, a rocket scientist to really figure out where the training's happening and how they're likely to attack. Right. So paranoia about security reaches new heights. And then after disclosures at Helen seances from the three years prior, it was decided by Chief Constable West of the Hampshire police that better safe than sorry was the most sensible course of action. West didn't know whether he- Helen seances were lucky guesses or if they had some validity, but for the sake of all the soldiers preparing to storm the French coast, he determined to lock Helen out of harm's way. January 19th, 1944, Helen is invited to hold a seance at the Master Temple above a chemist shop in Copner Road in Portsmouth. The seance is raided by police and Helen is initially arrested under Section 4 of the Vagrancy Act of 1824. Oh, we took that back some years. We did. But buckle up because we have to go back quite a bit more. Um, So just hold on to that thought, because at this point, Helen is so famous in England that the BBC interrupts coverage of the Russian advances on the Eastern Front to announce the news of her arrest. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's She's kind of a favorite. big deal. Yeah, like you're cutting into the O.J. Simpson trial to to bring <laughs> us news. And but I'm Beyonce still salty. Shoes. <laughs> but I mean, that's honestly it'd be more like Beyonce got arrested. But, I, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the authorities regard this case as more serious, and they used Section 4 of the Witchcraft Act of 1735. Oh, King James. <laughs> and they did this, and it covers fraudulent spiritual activity, which was triable before a jury. And How then they, do you prove that? Oh, I'm about to get into it. Oh, I'm so excited. They also you know charged... Which- her friends who helped her with the seances when her husband was too sick to join them. Oh, they're just passing out ladyfinger sandwiches and tea. I don't think you're wrong. So Helen's trial is for pretending to conjure up evil and malicious spirits. Fraudulent witchcraft made the headlines in every single daily newspaper. Actually, it just says all of them, but I'm saying every single. I mean, yeah. It should probably just say most, because I'm sure there might have been one that left it out. Um, The police (laughs) had expected to find evidence of fraud, such as, you know, like the cheesecloth sheet or things like that. But they failed to find anything. Their case was therefore based on the logic that Helen must have pretended to conjure up the spirits since no such thing exists. And this means Helen had to prove the existence of life after death in order to be acquitted. What an interesting props. Yep. She's a witch. That's pretty much, you know, the the whole thing. So the trial lasts between March 23rd to April 3rd of 1944. And the prosecution produced only five witnesses. Two are policemen that were involved in her arrest. Okay. The case made against Helen, according to her family, was weak and unconvincing. The defense produced 49 witnesses, including district sessions judge a reverend a doctor a wing commander a theater critic 
the theater critic. (laughs) (laughs) How many cases have both a reverend and a theater critic on the witness stand? Like, that's... On the same side. That's hilarious. The witnesses claimed that the spirits that they had seen appeared ranged from old people to young people and even pets. Many divulged family information that Helen couldn't have possibly known or talked in foreign languages that Helen didn't speak. Many had seen Helen apparently sleeping in her cabinet when the spirits came in at the time because Henry had made her the, the cabinet that she would go into for the seance and they would shut her in there and then she'd do her trance thing exude ectoplasm which is the grossest statement you could make and then the crazy shit happened because none of that's crazy so legally there's no limit on the number of defense witnesses that the lawyer could call but there's certainly no shortage of volunteers either and the defense thought that he'd wear the judge down into allowing a seance in court by continuing to call more and more witnesses (laughs) that's amazing okay and so the Judge finally just caves and says, fine, it will let you hold a seance as long as you don't call another GD witness. So a few I need days, a break. Right. OK, <laughs> now. Just a fun fact. Winston Churchill actually wrote the home secretary describing this witchcraft trial as obsolete tomfoolery because it, this is just shenanigans. Like you are keeping somebody busy, but not at the right time like (laughs) right right like i get right now that there's a bunch of bombings we have to keep pausing the trial because you know everybody needs to shelter in place for a second but could we really tone the circus music's pretty loud over there you know and that's basically what it is (laughs) so judge dodson offered the jury a demonstration of a seance if they thought it would be a helpful demonstration This plan fails because the jury declines the offer of the seance, which jury duty sucks, right? You're already on a good case and you're in for a free seance. Dude, that is a jury duty worth sitting through. Right. I hate jury duty. But it could have come with a seance. I would have been like, fool me, I'm here for it. Yeah, but... You know, you think about it from their end, right? They'd been pulled from London to Portsmouth. They're away from their families. They just want to go home. Every six minutes, there's another bomb that drops, and they've got to shelter in place and start the sentence over again as soon as the court can reconvene. It's got to be annoying, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm done. I want to go. I hate jury duty. (laughs) I just want to go home. Yeah. Okay, so here's the crazy thing, as if it hasn't been crazy, because the last person tried under the 1735 witchcraft act was in 1944 helen is found guilty but then there's a twist they're trying to get the maximum prison sentence for her which is a year and chief constable west described helen as quote a national pest and a mitigated humbug and then in the process of saying all of this (laughs) He divulges that she disclosed sinking of two ships before their public knowledge. So she's arrested for faking it. But once she's found guilty of faking it, they admit that she nailed it. This is like. Wild when you like. 
I love how history is hindsight. Like the 2020 is like, what? what? Yeah. And like, okay, so this was in 1944. This is like 25 years before Star Wars. Yes. And that they're arresting insane. her on a 1735 law on witchcraft. Like who dug through the books to find that law? I want to meet that person. That person's like, okay, wait, hold up. We, we got something around here somewhere. I read it once in law Yeah, school. like, we'll I'm get like, there. Be, I mean, it's, me a second. it's next to tying alligators to the fire hydrant. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, like, I'll, yeah. So The fact that tying alligators to the fire hydrant isn't the weirdest word salad you've given me today. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm so impressed. <laughs> yep. So Helen's sentence is reduced to six months, and then... On September 22nd, 1904, she's released. She okay. was the last woman to be convicted under the Witchcraft Act of 19 or 1735, which, you know, as we said, sought to per- persecute anyone who falsely came- claimed to procure spirits or tell fortunes. In 1951, the Witchcraft Act is repealed partially due to. Pre- pre- bleh, bleh, bleh. In 1935, the Witchcraft Act is repealed partly due to pressure from Winston Churchill. 45? 55? Uh, what year? 50, 1951. Okay. Let me, let me just read that over again. Okay. So <laughs> in 1951, the Witchcraft Act is repealed partly due to pressure from Winston Churchill. In Who its has place, no time for this crap. Yeah. he. This is obsolete tomfoolery at its finest. So they put the Fraudulent Mediums Act in its place. And then some four years later, in 1954, spiritualism is officially recognized as a religion, as an act of parliament. (laughs) So spiritualists everywhere are like, hell yeah, they're going to stop, you know, persecuting us as frauds. And they're only going to go after, you know, the, the fake ones. Well, that's what you think. But unfortunately, in 1956, at another seance held by Helen, this one in Nottingham, it gets raided by police. Once again, there's no evidence of fraud, but both the ignorance of the police, they end So, okay, this is one of those things you're kind of like, I, I have more questions because the police during the raid, they commit what is called the worst possible sin of physical phenomena. So that basically when a medium's in a trance, they can't be touched. You can't shine light on them. Or if it happens, the ectoplasm will return into the medium's body far too quickly and it can cause a lot of damage and even be fatal. Because somewhere there's a book on this. Yeah, apparently it's it's well studied. We all should know it. But you and me are the same suckers that would make this mistake because I would assume I would just want to see what's happening. But apparently by looking at what's happening, you damage the medium. So the, they they shine flashlights on her. They touch her. I don't exactly know what happens. But Helen receives second degree burns the size of saucers on her stomach and breast. And she's in severe pain and shock. And she gets rushed to the hospital. Her burns never heal. And five weeks after the police raided that, she's dead. And she passes away December 6, 1956. Which is just a wild ride. So... Her children and grandchildren have continued to fight for her posthumous pardon from the witchcraft 
conviction. And in two or in 2008, Scottish Parliament rejected the petition to pardon her. <laughs> so whatever oh, you believe yeah. doesn't matter, but that's the story of Helen Duncan, the last person convicted of witchcraft act of 1735. That is absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. Oh my gosh. That yeah. might be my favorite of your stories. I mean, it was a wild ride from start to finish, and it was literally listening to an audiobook and going, wait, wait, go back one. Go go that? back. Huh. Hmm? If that was just a sentence from the book, I need to know about the rest of the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lanta. That is insane. She's a witch. Like oh, Lanta. Yeah. You know Monty Python was loving this. They I were... mean, oh yeah. Yeah, no. They they were cutting their teeth on this. That's what they came to age on. Yeah. I can just see them sitting around the table and then somebody being like, John, didn't you didn't you isn't that your great auntie? <laughs> I mean, you think about it, fifty-six they were children. That is bananas. Like our grandparents were alive for this. Yeah. No, my grandfather was 16. My mom was born by the time she died. Yeah. That's bananas. And we had space wizards in like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> the hell, man? Time doesn't make sense. It's a figment of our imagination. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my word. Do we have time for my story? I, I just I don't mean, even know what... I need to stare at a wall for three years. <laughs> that was... And tying alligators to the water thing was the least weird thing you said today. It is a real law that you're not allowed to tie well, a... because... A... Why would you tie your pet alligator to the to the water hydrant? I mean, really. There was, there was a book I read as a kid of like the top 10 in name law or not top 10, but you know, like in name laws, you know, like laws, oh, it, basically that. book for children on just like arcane laws. Like one of them is you can't eat peanuts in church in Boston, Massachusetts. There's one law. I can't remember where it's at, but you can't have ice cream on Sunday. That one was written by a mother who just didn't want to get the carton out of the freezer. I'm sure. <laughs> it's like, no, no, it's illegal. Like I told kiddo that, um, at eight o'clock, like she had to be in bed by seven thirty because at eight o'clock, mommy's clocked out, and if she wanted a bedtime story and all of that, like eight o one, I, I, it's illegal. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't. <laughs> it's I, I can't break the. We're we're subject to the same law. We need to team up against the man, but until then, we're living under his thumb. And how did she reply? All right, I'll go brush my teeth. <laughs> how old was she like oh this was tuesday <laughs> i mean like she only recently got a bedtime of like 8 30 because you know i was telling you like oh yeah my third grader has a 7 30 bedtime you're like how and i was like easy no one's told her that other kids stay up later <laughs> Duh. yeah like <laughs> covid helped because she wasn't around kids for very long and all the conversations was monitored 
Yep. Brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Amazing. But then we realized that she would just stay in bed and play. But if we kept her up an extra hour, she'd actually go to sleep when she went to bed and then she would wake up on time. We figured yeah, out that it's we, were, we were shooting ourselves in the foot, but we, we had a great run. You did. I mean, you, you, you lasted. That's what we we're here just for. recently told Ethan, who is 15, that he didn't have to go to sleep by 830 as long as he got his stuff. Like he didn't have to go to bed by 830 as long as he got his stuff. Like he was ready to go in the morning for school. Yeah. It wasn't an issue. And I'm not kidding when I tell you, he rarely doesn't go to bed at 830. He's like, Smart no, man. Good. Like I, I got, I'm nope. I'd rather be asleep. <laughs> You know, that's probably my favorite part of living is being unconscious. It's that it's that waking up and realizing you can go back to sleep feeling and no one's stopping you. That's I love that one. Yeah. But we do have time for your story because you were telling me it was an incredibly long one. Yeah, my story is not incredibly long. Let's do it. Let's just crank it out. It makes me so happy. <laughs> okay. So you have the Witchcraft Act of 1735. And um, I just want to know, what do you think a GoPro, a metric calculation, and a possible 16th century Chinese official have in common? 16th century Chinese official? Yep. GoPro, an ancient Chinese official, and a math equation walk into a bar. Yep. <laughs> um, damn, I thought I was bringing the word salad. I got nothing. <laughs> Well, my story is how the gist of how problems in space are different than on Earth. I would so... not have gone from space. <laughs> and now I recognize all of the, these were, <laughs> we had space only so many years later. <laughs> no, actually, that had absolutely nothing to do with it. I just, okay. it hit me when you said 19, 1950 that like Star Wars came out in like 69. Hmm. Someone was like, wait, what? No, that was only 25 years later. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Space wizards. But now that you make that connection, you're right. But it was all subconscious for me. Okay. I was just thinking about the guillotine and how the last man was guillotined when Star Wars came out. How you know, I, I too that. resonate and just ruminate <laughs> on guillotine usage. I'm, some of us have favorite torture methods, I guess. I mean... You're not wrong. Yep, yeah. Weird. History people are weird. We always, that's all I'm going to say. Here we are. So my sources are, okay, so I'm going to give you a roundup of my two, three of my favorite space mistakes. But you I skipped thought, over the fact where you said, I'm going to tell you my sources are. And then yeah, you're I'm like, gonna okay, go I'm going to go to my sources. Gonna... I'm going to tell you my sources, but I forgot to tell you that, like, what my story is actually about. <laughs> so. Uh, my sources are a sciencealert.com article called NASA Astronaut Forgets GoPro SD Card on Spacewalk. Internet has a field day. An LA Times um, Archives article called Mars Probe Lost Due to Simple Math Error. Um, that article is by Robert Lee Hotz. And um, I love Medium. A Medium article called History's First Astronaut. And there are a couple other um, in there just like uh, story adjacent so i knew what i was actually talking about mm. but i cited the source just in case people wanted to know i have them 
So in my opinion, a GoPro, a metric calculation, and a possible 16th century official, what they all have in common is one really bad day at the office. <laughs> I should probably start the story of space with Icarus. Do you remember Icarus? Yeah, flew too, too close to the sun, his wings melted. Right, because dad told him not to, and he's a teenager or whatever, and doesn't listen. So he's got he's probably the first problem with space, but I thought he'd be a fun mention. But somewhere around the 16th century, a man is born in the era of the Ming Dynasty. His name is Wan Hu, and he is a man born for adventure, but is instead given a job as a government official. Which, by the way, is no small task. Do you know how you got government official jobs in China back then? Uh, the civil exam. Right. Right. I'm just, I love you so much. Well, no, because I, I did the start of the Han Dynasty. Yeah. Okay. So the civil exam was a thing in existence for centuries. Yeah. Like probably over a thousand years. Right. So um, it actually didn't didn't get like abolished until 1905 which i think is insane it was okay. so functional and worked so well for so long but in 1905 it ceased and ceased to exist so anyway so he so juan has got this cush government job that he excelled at by um first passing the civil exam however he's kind of bored and at the time which I think this is crazy. He was really into something to the effect of conquest. Like he wanted to go on an adventure. He wanted to take names for China, you know, but the Ming era view of the world was that it would be useless as most of the world was already conquered and or inhabited. And um, that's, that's what they believed. And so why, why break what's not broken, you know, like, okay. Leave everybody else alone. Mind your own business kind of thing. Stay in your lane. Um, yeah. Stay in your own pond, bucko. So he couldn't really partake in that idea. So he started to look to the stars and he started daydreaming about the moon and kind of sloughing off on his government job duties. Isn't that a prerequisite of having a government job? I think so. I'm fairly okay. certain you have assistance, okay. you know, like the servants will do it for you or the peasantry or your assistant, whatever name you want to give them. So despite that in this century the lack of even a motor car he, it this didn't stop him um the ming dynasty had quote inherited most of the huan and song dynasty's gunpowder and explosive technology and had imported cannons from portugal through trading posts in macau so they've got they've got stuff right yeah so also keep in mind that at this time, the Ming Dynasty is the world's leader in gunpowder technology. Now, mind you, it's 16th century, but it is, they are the ruling people of gunpowder tech. So he had watched explosives send metal balls hurtling through the air, so he thought, why not himself? His design... <laughs> Was a he, metal chair. Is he the very first? So you're first now. It sounds like you're combining lawn chair, Larry. I, I have a feeling thing. we're heading towards a Darwin Award. I, mm, I will tell you that my idea for him came from one of my favorite Wikipedia websites or Wikipedia articles, the uh, "How Inventors Die by Their Own Inventions" article. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> So there's the end of his story. Um, so 
His design is a metal chair with two kites for directions on it and 47 explosives attached to the back. What's not left of his ass will surely make it anywhere he wants to go. (laughs) Pretty sure, right? So the Medium article says, quote, considering there was absolutely no aviation technology at the time, his design was quite reasonable and innovative. And for me, that is hilarious. I we, mean, it's reasonable to strap we stand on the rockets. shoulders of gods. Yes, we do. <laughs> so by the time his design is all built and he orders his servants to light the explosives up, which I'm sure they did after much head shaking, and I'm sure some bets were made as to how he's going to make it. Can we get paid before we light this? <laughs> did you write our checks out already, sir? Direct deposit? Yeah, um... Oh, direct deposit. Okay. Um, is there a bonus if you live? <laughs> yeah, like, but I just want to make sure we have our incentive put out there now, because my wife's going to be upset in about five minutes she's gonna be so mad if she finds out i lost another job because my boss blew i'm up. about to get <laughs> fired because you got fired yes literally not figuratively literally i'm i'm going to figuratively get fired because you literally get fired in fact right okay so um Wan Hu became the first human to presumably die in a space flight. The explosion was so big that it blew Wan Hu and his chair into oblivion. And it was believed <laughs> that he made it to the moon because there was nothing left. Prove he didn't. <laughs> Prove he didn't. There you go. Um, flip side to that, though, in 1970, NASA did name a crater on the moon after him. So I guess he really did make it eventually. It just took a few hundred years. I mean, <laughs> you know, I can I just say that I love NASA's humor? Oh, me too. The irony in not only having ships named Daedalus, um, the father of Icarus, who built the wings made of beeswax, and the fact that you named a crater af- on the moon after the first man who sought to send himself there and disassembled himself on the way. I mean, so... I can't remember what planet, which would really help, but there's a planet in our system that has several moons and each of the moons, the planet is named after a God and all of the moons are named after his mistresses, not wives, mistresses. And it's not Saturn, right? It might be. It might be Saturn. I don't know why I think that. But I just remember one of the um, (laughs) crafts that used to like go and visit that planet was named the wife. (laughs) I know just enough detail to make this almost compelling. Okay, so I'm going to tell you that while I was searching up more stories, because my second story, which I'm about to tell you, is what started this whole thing for me, but it wasn't enough information so i had to okay find, like other okay so while i was searching for that the amount of like i think i'm a geek like i think i am the queen nerd until i hear civil engineers and aeronautic engineers talking and then i'm like nope you win <laughs> because what they find funny versus what i find funny i'm like i need a calculator and a thesaurus to figure this out yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> what and i was like retelling it some of it to the hubs and he was like oh my you just called him the hubs i just want you to know i have infiltrated oh my god what have you done 
<laughs> he used to be the man. Now he's the he husband. the man. Pretty soon you're just going to be married to my husband. <laughs> you can keep yours. I like mine. I cannot deal with two. <laughs> Although yours cooks. Because I forced him. Oh. I am the better I mean, he cook. He still cooks. He does cook. He does cook. But we had to do baby steps. We had to do meal plur- meal delivery kits. And then it was, now let's try a couple weeks without the meal kits where you actually do. I do all the pre-work. So you don't have Ooh. just to open the container. Now you have to open a Tupperware. And now it's like, now you do the meal prep and put the stuff in the Tupperware. And then <clears throat> the next day, empty the Tupperwares into the dish. Oh, my God. So, um, not to be confused, I am not married to the hubs. I'm married to the man. <laughs> Teresa's married to the hubs. The man said... Just hubs. Uh, it's just hubs. Yeah. He's not the hubs. To hubs. She is married to hubs. I'm married to the man. The man just shook his head and said, <laughs> you're right, they are geeks. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so fast forward like 400 years and we have fully entered the space age. Which brings me to my second mistake. Okay. The date is December 11th, 1998, and the Mars Climate Orbiter has just been launched. This orbiter's job serves dual purposes. One is to study the atmosphere, climate, and surface of Mars, while the other is to act as a communications relay for the Mars Polar Lander, with the hope and idea that it could later work as a communications relay for future missions to the Red Planet. Part of the hope of this mission was to map the climate, the climatic history of the planet and provide evidence of buried water reserves. So that is the MCO, the Mars Climate Orbiter. That's okay. its job. Yeah. It's launched on December 11th, 1988. After launch... 88? Uh, 98, excuse me. No, I okay. 1998. I said 88. I meant 98. No, you're fine. You you catch <laughs> me time traveling all the time. <laughs> You know, it's a hoax. <laughs> Still pissed about it. <laughs> After launch, the spacecraft is put into a Hohmann transfer orbit to intersect with Mars. It performs four course corrections. One on December 21 of 1998. Another on March 4th. One more on July 25th. And a final one on September 15th, 1999. At 9.40, excuse me, at 9 o'clock p.m. September 23rd, 1999, the, the orbiter begins its Mars orbit insertion burn as planned. It was scheduled to reestablish contact after passing behind Mars, but unfortunately, no signals were received from the MCO. Upon the completion of an investigation into the matter, it was found that the failure was from, quote, a navigational error due to commands from Earth being sent in English units without being converted into the metric standard first. I love that. (laughs) This error caused the MCO to miss its intended orbit by like 90 miles or roughly 145 kilometers, where it fell into the Martian atmosphere at 35 miles or 56 kilometers and in altitude and completely disintegrated. This could not have happened in a worse time as there had already been several issues or otherwise failures to happen that year that wasted or destroyed several billion dollars worth of research. One being 
Yeah, one being the Cassini space probes near miss of Earth. No biggie. It was only loaded down with a payload of 73 pounds of plutonium as its power source. By comparison, I had to look this up. I am not a nuclear physicist or rocket scientist, but by comparison, Fat Man, the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki, only had 13.6 pounds of plutonium. You know, okay, so I once had a boss that when I had a bad day, his response was, nobody dies in marketing. Like, don't basically don't take yourself so seriously. You can't say that if you are in charge of a payload of several nuclear bombs. Right. Uh, now, that man with its 13 pounds of plutonium was its core was, however, surrounded by 5,300 pounds of high explosives. So I'm sure that probably makes a difference. There was yeah. no high explosives on Cassini. But I don't, I would want to, I mean, I'm, I have additional questions. I don't necessarily feel safe is the response, regardless I mean, of, well, I mean, it's not strapped to TNT. Yeah, right. Neither did the people of Earth. So there was quite a kerfuffle over the Cassini probe. Um, however, to which, the near- just like Helen Duncan's family, I would be like, why did you have to say anything about the doctor dying that night? You could have just kept your mouth shut. Could have just kept your mouth shut. We didn't need to know it was loaded down with plutonium. We're fine. Yeah, we didn't need to um, know that you just said the doctor shouldn't go out that night. Not at all. We would have been so good in our ignorance. The near miss, as it is called, was planned. And it was just that had there been an issue, it would have wreaked havoc over Earth. Had there been some type of malfunction or a collision or it not going by at the right angle and burned up in reentry. Like any number of those things were highly calculated, but um, deemed safe enough to shoot it on past. But long story short, basically what happens with the MCO is a gross miscommunication between all the agencies working on the project, such as JPL or the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, yep. which uses the metric system, but Lockheed Martin Aeronautics in Denver designed and built the orbiter using, quote, crucial acceleration data in the English system. In reality, it is hard to place blame on any one group as none of JPL's super intense quality control procedures caught the error in the nine months and the 461 million mile trek. But at the same time, Lockheed Martin was dealing with a, quote, overemphasis on cut, cost-cutting and mismanagement. This leads to poor quality control, thus resulting in several failed or malfunctioned rockets in the same time frame. And no less than nine stomach ulcers. No less. And in case you're curious, the MCO was no less than $125 million in loss. Oh. Here are some comments regarding the incident from John Lodgkin, who is the, or excuse me, Logsdon, who is the director of the George Washington University Space Policy Institute, quote, this is so dumb. There seems to have emerged over the past couple of years a systematic problem in the space community of insufficient attention to detail. Another quote from him, it is ironic that we can cooperate in space with the Russians and the Japanese and the French, but we have trouble cooperating across parts of the United States. <laughs> this sounds like a really bad conference call. Doesn't it? The, the I have Zoom been on these calls. Working. Everybody puckers. Nobody leaves happy. Yeah. Yeah. So fundamentally, he basically says that you have partners in this enterprise speaking different languages. Um but that didn't seem to be the issue the math was. Yeah, <laughs> um, the universal language. 
everybody um you would think involved in this would be very intimate with um john pike the space policy director at the federation of american scientists said quote it is very difficult for me to imagine how such a fundamental basic discrepancy could have remained in the system for so long along with this quote i can't think of another example of this kind of large loss due to english versus metric confusion it's going to be the cautionary tale until the end of time wow (laughs) And then there's a delightful quote about how it all can't happen because we're transmitting English units and they were expecting metric units. And this is normally the thing is done in metrics. So why did we need to specify that? I was delighted to yep. read that story. Because and f- I've made several bonehead moves probably today along that same, you know. I've never once had to tell my boss I lost $125 million. Or a space probe. I mean, to be fair, they didn't lose it. They uh, knew exactly where it was. That's true. That is that is true. <laughs> they blew um, it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they sure did. There was some calculation miscommunication for sure. And what for we one, have here is a <laughs> failure to communicate. Can't handle the truth. For one, way less catastrophic failure, but nonetheless equally silly event, I'd like to close by reminding you that even astronauts forget to buy the SD card for their cameras. On May 16th of 2018, so we were well into our adulthood and knowing what is going on in the world, Drew Foistel, a flight engineer, and Ricky Arnold, his crewmate, were on a routine spacewalk outside the International Space Station. Keep in mind, both these men are brilliant and experienced astronauts. Their task for the day is to work on some maintenance tasks and um, of the station's internal system. Foistel thought it would be awesome between tasks to take some pictures with a heavily space armor GoPro camera when this delightful conversation with Houston, Houston happens. Hey, Houston, I get a question about the GoPro real quick. Butch Wilmore, the ground control liaison, says, we're all ears, go ahead. Followed by Foistel saying, I see a no, uh, I'm pushing the button, and I see a no SD. That means, do I need that to record? And if it's recording, is there supposed to be a red light on? During the pause, while his earthbound friends check that he check on this he clarifies something with arnold who's still working with the power tools on the connectors and then in true dad fashion you hear you hear from wilmore the ground liaison uh i'm told that if it has the card in it it should have a red light if it's recording to which foistel questions back and if it says no sd what does that mean i think that means no card with a question mark from Wilmar. Oyster eventually says, well, we can put this one back in the pack then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> with Houston responding with what I thought was a giggle when I watched the video, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> the idea to me that this is the type of conversation with two guys hurtling through space around Earth at 7.5 kilometers per second well, with only a spacesuit for protection is peak entertainment for me. And you can actually go watch the spacewalk. It's it's there. It's I'm 
absolutely it just, delightful. It just shows people being people, right? Oh. We were like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the dumb question because it could just be that I'm not pushing the right button. Like I did not bring the manual. Can someone right. help me? <laughs> like, I don't know if you know this, but my fingers have these massive gloves on them. <laughs> okay. So in the video, I just, I highly recommend everybody watch the video because it was so much fun. In the video, you can see his hands and he's got the gloves on and they're massive. Like the fingers yeah. are just massive, yeah, right? He, he's got and marshmallow the, fingertips. Yeah. He's got marshmallow fingertips, but also the GoPro is wearing the same kind of suit for lack of a better way of describing Oh yeah, because it. of the pressures of space. Right. And so like when you see him holding up the GoPro, like at one point he tilts it up so you can kind of see the screen, you can't figure out where the buttons are. So this poor man is up there trying to like figure this out with marshmallows on his fingertips and no easily readable access to the this camera is, itself. This is the Simpsons episode where Homer becomes obscenely fat so that he can work from home as a disability and then has to mash all like when he causes a, a meltdown at the plant he has he picks up the the receiver to make 911 it's like we're sorry your fingers are too fat to dial please mash all keys at once yes that was it so yeah. those are my my three favorite space mistakes i'm sure there will be many more that is awesome Yep. So my, I also now have a favorite astronaut. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Houston, get you up. And I also just would like to say that if my cell service goes down one day and I find out that it's because we were communicating with Houston for our GoPro SD card, I'm cool with it. It's a great day. I, it's not a bad day for that. No, <laughs> I'm here. So that's my delightful story. I like it. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. You can thank the man for telling me about bad math and million dollar mistakes. <laughs> and if you've enjoyed our crazy retellings, and you're wondering, you know, what are these two crazy ladies going to bring me next week? The truth is we don't know. It's so fun. But we're here for you. And all you've got to do to make sure that you come back around into our orbit is mash that subscribe button, hit rate, <laughs> review, and really make sure that, you know, our listens keep going up so that we kind of realize you like us because that's really what we're at it for. We need the dopamine hit of going, oh my gosh, they actually listened to that episode. Like our friends like us. Hi, North Carolina. <laughs> Arizona's moving into number one position for most downloads for this this first chunk. It is oh. the craziest thing to go. Hi, Arizona. Hey, how's it going? How you, you doing? Texas. How's your mama? You know. Yeah. All the things. Enjoy the heat. Ooh. Sorry. I know. I apologize. Yeah. Like I I didn't do it. I moved to someplace colder, but you know, you do you, boo. Yeah, I'm 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 here to support you from over here where it's not six hundred degrees outside. Yeah, where my brake lights aren't melting. Ew. Yeah, so those are <laughs> things. But uh, yeah. On that note, <laughs> goodbye. Bye.